Welcome to Counsel the Word, a podcast of the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. I'm your host, Keith Palmer, and today we're going to be talking about hermeneutics and biblical counseling. I am always grateful to sit down with dear friends and fellow brother pastors, and uh, today is a special day because I'm here with Jason Cruz. Jason is the Senior Associate Pastor at Calvary Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas, a good friend, and uh, we have labored for years together uh, in counseling ministry and training. And so, Jason, uh, what a joy it is to have you today. Thanks for being here for the conversation. You're welcome, Keith. Thanks for having me. So today we're talking about hermeneutics, which is, of course, the science and art of biblical counseling. And, of course, one of the most basic tenets of what we do in biblical counseling is to utilize the Word of God and to minister it to people. But in order to do that, obviously, we have to interpret it rightly. So this is a really important topic, and I hope that... uh, I hope that our listeners will benefit from thinking about um, how essential it is that we rightly divide the word of truth, as Paul tells Timothy. So um, well, let me just let's just kick it off here, because we're going to talk about hermeneutics and, and interpretation. And along the way, we're going to focus a bit on the sort of founder of biblical counseling, uh, Jay Adams. And I know you have uh, researched this lately for a class paper and have written on it. So. Um, Help us understand uh, what was Jay Adams' approach to interpreting the Bible, and, and how does his approach compare to maybe some other approaches? Yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting. When you get into the field of hermeneutics, like you said, the, the science and art of interpretation, this has to do with not just the Bible, but other texts. How do we understand how meaning is carried from author to reader or hearer? Uh, by means of a text. And there are lots of schools of thought out there uh, relative to how to answer that question, including uh, within Christianity, within evangelicalism. Uh, and so there is some emphasis in uh, Jay Adams's approach in particular that lends itself, uh, and as I've studied this out and, and done some analysis and some research on it, lends itself in particular to uh, clarity and authority and directness. Uh, which were reflected uh, in a lot of the work that Adams produced. And you might know he was uh, prolific in the biblical counseling movement. Uh, over a hundred books he published, uh, including the, the first, uh, the work that sort of started the movement, uh, Competent to Counsel. Uh, and so, uh, again, there's, there are some distinctive features of the way Adams approached hermeneutics uh, that I think on, on analysis and reflection uh, really are connected with his ability to speak with authority and in diverse ways, you know, in terms of uh, the scriptures being applicable and sufficient to every issue in life and godliness. Uh, this approach lends itself to that. Uh, so just that clarity, that authority, that directness, and the diversity. Uh, and so, yeah, just a little bit about what it is uh, in Adams's approach that lends itself to this. Uh, he actually has a name for his hermeneutical approach, which he calls telic hermeneutics. And that sounds a little fancy probably, but you may recognize that word telic or telos as being uh, the Greek word for purpose or goal. Uh, Jesus on the cross, uh, when he is uh, right near death, says to telestai, uh, it is finished. 
and you might be familiar with that word. That just means that it's coming to its end. It's coming to its goal, coming to its purpose. And so when Adams talks about telic hermeneutics or telic analysis of the text, what he is encouraging his students, and he was a professor of homiletics and of uh, counseling, encouraging those who study the Bible to study it for the purpose of the writer. In uh, that, of course, he would include the dual authorship of scripture. The, the purpose of the Holy Spirit would coincide with the purpose of the human author in whatever is written down in scripture. And so, and this is common to to many, if not all, evangelical approaches, you start with historical and grammatical analysis, just looking at the history uh, that occasioned the writing of the text and the author's background and the background of his audience. Uh, you look at the grammar, the, the word choices, the syntax, the way the words relate to each other, do original language exegesis. That's the beginning point. Uh, you pay attention also to the relationship of this text with other texts. You do that systematic and biblical and theological analysis. Uh, you pay attention to uh, literary forms and what the author is doing with his own words and with the other words that he's interacting with. You do that literary analysis. But what Adams focuses on and says is often lacking in evangelical biblical interpretation is his last step, which really you could almost think of as governing this whole process, the step of telic analysis. And so you're coming to the text saying, I'm not going to be satisfied with the outcome of my interpretation until I've identified the purpose of the Holy Spirit in inspiring this text, the purpose of Paul in writing this to the Galatians, the purpose of Moses in writing this down for Israel. What was he after with his hearers? And what would that author and the Holy Spirit say is the purpose of this text for the person to whom I'm ministering? Or if I'm reading it for my own benefit, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? How does he want me to grow and change because of what is found in this text? And so that right there, that last part, the telic analysis, that's what's really quite unique to Adams' approach and what I think lends itself to uh, the authority, the clarity, uh, the directness, the variety uh, he was able to have in his biblical teaching. So what you're saying is the uniqueness of his approach is that he sees some application or purpose as an important part of the interpretive process as opposed to just concluding it, okay, I understand the text, and now I'm going to go figure out how I'm going to apply it. He would argue there is applicational intent in the text itself. Did I understand that correctly? That is correct, yeah. And that, that gets us into some other areas that you probably have some questions about. But uh, let me just say, um, yeah, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head there. And uh, when Adams talks about that word in particular, application, he, he's funny. And you, if you know Adams at all, you might track with this about him. He says, that's really not the right way to think about it. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking about coming to the scriptures and saying, how does it apply? You don't come to the scriptures and say, how does it apply? You come to the scriptures and say, how has God already applied it? Right. The idea being God doesn't give truth in the abstract. Yeah. What's his uh, divinely intended purpose? Exactly. He gives truth already applied. And that's the name of one of his homiletics textbooks is truth applied. Yeah. So so that would be an appropriate and needed correction or or at least um, um, nuance for approaches to hermeneutics that would say our goal is simply to understand the meaning 
and to stop there, or the approach that says uh, we have to find Christ in the text, and that would be the sort of telic approach. So maybe expand on that just a little bit in terms of how those two systems could be um, strengthened uh, by learning from Adams. Yeah, and that's exactly right, Keith. Um, and those those two approaches, which I would say are different from Adams, each of those safeguards something that is very important. Uh, the first one you mentioned, uh, grammatical, historical, and particularly historical analysis, saying what did this text mean in its original context? And, and when you focus on application, there can be a tendency to move away from what the text meant in its historical context. I'm not interested in what this text meant to its original audience or what the, the author meant. That's inaccessible. I want to know what it means for me. And as you know, that kind of postmodern hermeneutic is the root of all kinds of disaster, probably even including in the counseling movement at times. Uh, so we want to stay away from that. Uh, another thing, and this is what the Christocentric sort of approach would guard against, is we don't want to just come to each text and say, what is the to-do item here? That would lend itself to behaviorism. We want to evaluate and understand all of these things in terms of their thrust for Christians and what is more central to that than the gospel or Christ and, and him crucified. Everything must start with that and, and be empowered by it. Uh, so, yeah, those, those two approaches protect things. And, and let me just say what the first one protects and we come back to that. What did this text mean uh, to its original author and to its original hearers? That is going to limit our application in a contemporary way. Uh, if, if uh, for example, uh, Paul said to the uh, people at Corinth that they must uh, do something relative to uh, their sexuality and say he was specific, like in chapter 6, verse 9, he says, some of you were homosexuals, but that is not befitting a Christian. It's, it, that is not in keeping with a Christian lifestyle. Well, we can't say it meant that to the Corinthians, but it can mean that, that homosexuality is acceptable in a contemporary context. No, that historical meaning limits our contemporary application. So in terms of what uh, a Christocentric approach tries to safeguard, it, it wants to safeguard the idea that our obedience must be founded on and empowered by Christ. And that is absolutely necessary. But what can tend to happen if rather than going to each text and saying, what is the purpose of this text? If you say the purpose of every text is to teach or preach the gospel and bring everything back to Christ, then that tends more towards a reductionism and can sort of flatten out these purposes that the Holy Spirit and the human author intends for each one of these texts. And we see this actually modeled in the intertextuality of Scripture. As Scripture writers use and reference earlier Scripture, they're bringing the specific purposes to bear. And they're always doing it, of course, in light of a biblical gospel, a biblical understanding of what founds and empowers sanctification and obedience. It's never assuming uh, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of morality or effort in sanctification. But there are pointed, direct purposes in various texts that can be used for the purposes the author intended. And that, again, is going to lend itself towards more diversity and authority on those specific points as the interpreter brings it to bear. 
No, that's really, really helpful uh, in terms of balancing out some of those other approaches. What scriptures uh, indicate support for this position as you've studied the scriptures and studied Adam's? Uh, what, what do you see in the Bible that would support what we're talking about? Yeah, well, one and and the the recent blog post on this topic uh, gave some scriptures from Adams's perspective that he thought uh, supported his approach. Uh, one of them, just from sort of a, a the de- de- deductive side, is uh, the the scripture text that we reference probably most often in terms of sufficiency. Second Timothy three, verse sixteen, it says, "All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for these various purposes: for teaching, for reproof, for correction." for training in righteousness. And so you see that moves away from any sort of a reductionistic, you know, everything is for one purpose and says these various texts. And if you look at, at um, verse 15, he's talking to Timothy about the text he was raised with, which would have been the old Testament scriptures. They're suited to these various purposes. And so you can even look for those purposes, training, correction, uh, reproof, teaching, Look for those various purposes as you as you try to understand what the purpose is in a given text. Uh, another text that uh, I think speaks to the nature of Scripture in this regard, um, and this is just one of the most succinct uh, and and pointed um, descriptions of Scripture in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes twelve verse eleven, Solomon writes this: that the words of wise men are like goads. Uh, and if you know what a goat is, it's a, it's an implement that a shepherd would use to poke an animal, uh, in a pointed way, of course, to get back on the right path. And, uh, it says from there, the words of wise men are like goats and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. And so you get there both the diversity of the goats, you know, they're, they're suited for different purposes to keep, uh, the sheep, the followers of, of the, the one shepherd on the path. And he is the one giving them and then giving the men to wield the goads uh, in appropriate ways suited to the various purposes of various texts. Uh, one more, and this one actually um, uh, Adams leans on quite a bit and for good reason. First uh, Corinthians, uh, end of chapter nine and into chapter 10, Paul is uh, appealing to the Corinthians on the basis of Israel's history. And he gives some statements there about what the purposes were uh, for the Old Testament scriptures, including that they were given for the church, not just for Israel. And so the warnings, the encouragements, the admonitions, the promises, they, they are for the Corinthians. They're for the church. And one of the most striking ways in which Paul models this is there at the end of chapter 9, uh, when he says, do not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain. And he's using that particular text to tell the Corinthians that they should pay their gospel workers. And Paul, Paul uses that same text for that same purpose in first Timothy one also. And that is interestingly uh, often misconstrued as a non-contextual use of scripture. But if you look closely at the scripture that's referenced there by Paul and applied there by Paul, it's Deuteronomy 25 verse four, uh, which comes in the context of a bunch of instruction to Israel as to how they were to treat their neighbors and how they were to treat others. They're to treat others with compassion, with generosity, with kindness. And what you see here is that they should even treat their beast with, uh, in, a, in a way, compensation. If your beast is providing your food, 
then don't put a muzzle on him. Or if you're borrowing, this may be the case in context, if you're borrowing an ox from your neighbor, don't muzzle that ox as it treads out the grain. Let it participate in the nourishment it's producing for you. Well, that is a very contextual use when it comes to paying gospel workers. So like Dr. Adams would say, the text was already applied in context. You just bring it into this context and see how the Holy Spirit is applying it. In Paul's case there, and we can use it this very same way in a contemporary in a contemporary setting, is pay those who bring you your food, including your spiritual food. Mm-hmm. Wow, we could just extend this podcast all afternoon in light of that answer because there's so many different uh, subjects we could branch up to into and talk. And maybe we need to do that. Maybe we need to do a series on that. But for the purposes of just where we're at today, maybe we could summarize uh, where we've come in, in sort of one final question. And that is um, how might counselors today benefit from Jay Adams model of interpretation, which seem to be very, very effective. Um, so what, what would you say to counselors today that we can learn from Dr. Adams in regard to our hermeneutics? Yeah, well, one thing, uh, and, and Dr. Adams would sometimes downplay this because he just assumed every student of the Bible would already have this, you know, in their tool belt you cannot neglect historical grammatical analysis. And he would be the first to say that, but he just assumes if you're a serious student of the Bible, that's a given. So if you don't have training in historical and grammatical uh, analysis, just an approach of, and and, and a, a good way of getting a grounding in this, I think you guys are using this, Keith, in the hermeneutics class you're doing at your church, is grasping God's word, which is just a basic textbook that teaches you how to observe the historical settings and the details of the biblical text. And so that's the place to start. Read your Bible. And this is just, um, again, it's something that can be neglected. Read your Bible for the normal plain sense. Uh, and, and that is going to guide and direct the rest of this task. So, so what I'm going to say next is, is more specific to Adams. And I think a way in which we could grow many of us. And I know this is, helps me in my counseling already since I've been studying it. Uh, This particular uh, benefit from what Adams has done and instructed us on is his focus on purpose. And so from the moment even you start your observation of the history and grammar of the text, all the way to when you're done with your interpretation, asking that question, what did Paul or Moses or whoever the writer is and the Holy Spirit, what did the author of this text want for the people of God in the effect of this text on them. And prayerfully, as you're in your study, prayerfully as you're in the counseling room, prayerfully as you're teaching and instructing from the text and applying the text as the Holy Spirit has already applied it, uh, seek for your own heart first to come into submission to that purpose that God has put in the text and for the, for the hearts of your hearers to be more closely conformed to the image of Christ as they come into submission to the purpose of the text. So, so helpful, Jason. Um, and maybe I, I said that was the last question. I'm going to add one more uh, resources. What are some resources if our listeners would like to learn more about this to get better at hermeneutics? You, you mentioned Duvall and Hayes, Grasping God's Word, uh, published by Zondervan. That's a great hermeneutics text. Any other resources you might add to that that you've come across along the way? Yeah, well, in terms of getting your head around this particular model and even some of the ways that it's distinctive in the ways that Adams developed it uh, would be his books, Preaching with Purpose and Truth Applied. 
uh, and then a two-part uh, journal article that he wrote in the Journal of Biblical Counseling uh, some years ago uh, called Hermeneutics and Biblical Counseling. Uh, that's, a, that's a really good resource. Uh, additionally, just in terms of understanding how scripture itself models biblical interpretation and application, uh, there's a little bit more of an academic book, although it's not a long read. Um, so you can, you can pick it up and see if it's something that, uh, helps you with understanding the scripture writer's own use of scripture. Uh, and that is, uh, Dr. Abner Chow at the Masters University, his book. The Hermeneutics of the Biblical Writers. Yes, a resource on the scripture writer's own use and application of scripture is Dr. Abner Chow at the, the Masters University has written a book, The Hermeneutics of the Biblical Writers. Uh, and that book really gets into the details of how the writers themselves uh, used and interpreted scripture. This has been so helpful, Jason. It's just a good reminder that if we're going to be biblical counselors, we have to rightly divide the word of truth. And that includes... Um, letting a divinely inspired purpose guide our efforts as well as the divinely inspired meaning. So, so important, so essential. And uh, we, we want to be able to represent God accurately in counseling as we care for people. And, and that means that we have to represent his word accurately. So thank you so much for this conversation. Very helpful. Amen. You're welcome, Keith. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Council of the Word. Uh, we want to invite you this fall to come to our Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship training conference. And in fact, uh, this year, our conference will be hosted at Jason's Church, Calvary Bible Church in Fort Worth. So if you're in the Metroplex or if that's a, a reasonable drive for you, we, we'd love to invite you to our Biblical Counseling Training Conference again coming this fall. Uh, you can sign up for that on our website, which is thecbcd.org, as well as access on that same website hundreds of free resources that we hope will encourage you and help equip you for further excellence in biblical counseling. Thanks so much for listening today.